Hello, folks. Welcome to Notoriously Episcopalian, a podcast of sermons from me, Kelly Hudlow, an itinerant Episcopal priest in Alabama. Thanks for listening. This is a sermon given on Trinity Sunday, June 12, 2022, at the Episcopal Church of the Messiah in Heflin, Alabama. The principal text for the sermon were Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and 22 through 31, the discussion of wisdom, and John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, part of the farewell discourse. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Today is somewhat unique in the church year. Normally, with our liturgical calendar that sets our different celebrations, we tend to celebrate the events in the life of Jesus, right? We celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas. We celebrate his baptism. We celebrate his crucifixion, his resurrection. We also tend to celebrate live, uh, events in the life of the church, such as Pentecost, which we observed last Sunday. Or we celebrate people, different saints that we hold up as examples in the church. But today, right, as we finished out sort of the celebration that is Easter into Pentecost, all those big days, and before we enter that long season of the church year that we call ordinary time, we have one last celebration to offer on a Sunday. But on this Sunday, we are not celebrating a, an event in the life of Jesus or an event in the life of the church or a particular saint. We're celebrating, of all things, a particular church doctrine. And for particularly church nerdy people among us, they might say that we are celebrating the church doctrine, which is the Trinity. Now, you maybe don't think so much about the doctrine of the Trinity, right? But if you start looking for it, you see it everywhere in our worship. We began with the first words that I spoke with, Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? We end our prayers using some sort of Trinitarian formula, praying to God, invoking Jesus, and asking for the power and grace of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity shapes everything that we do in worship. It is through this Trinitarian formula that we are grafted into the family of God through our baptism, right? Remember when we had baptisms here not that long ago, the main act was pouring water over the head of the willing and maybe not so willing at times, right? And saying that I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This formula is what makes Christians have a common foundation regardless of how they worship on Sunday mornings, right? Or what they call themselves. It marks how we pray. It marks how we preach. Right before I even began speaking for the sermon, I invoke the Holy Trinity before I preach. It shapes the creed that comes after the sermon when we stand up and affirm our faith with the words of the Nicene Creed. We're using a lot of really fancy words that spell out and talk about not just the nature of Jesus, his divinity and his humanity, but also how Jesus relates to God the Father and to the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is the doctrine that unites and defines Christians through baptism ancient creeds, but it has also been the point of maybe our greatest division. Historically, it was Trinitarian doctrine 
especially the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the other two parts of the Trinity that led to the great schism between the East and the West, Western churches. In the West, the tradition that we stand in, right, we say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. In a few moments in the Nicene Creed, we're going to say those words. You maybe don't think about them, but we stand and we say as part of the Nicene Creed that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And because for us, it is really important that Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit, gives the church the Holy Spirit. But our siblings in the East say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father only, right? That the Father in the Trinity begets the Son, and the Father from the Father proceeds the Holy Spirit. And for our brothers and sisters in the Eastern Church, it's really important that we realize that all three persons are the same substance, even if we don't quite understand how all the details work. And what's sort of funny about this difference in doctrine, right? It leads to a major split in the church. If you were to walk into an Orthodox church to go to their worship, it's going to look a lot different, but have a fair amount of similarities to what we do. But these two churches have kind of been on a parallel path. But what is sort of funny is the reading that we have from the gospel this morning, the gospel of John, has been used to justify both what the West says, that Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to the church, and what the East emphasizes, which is that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all of one substance. And so now, after hundreds of years of fighting, sometimes violently, now in more recent years of long conversations between theologians from the East and the West, we've come to the very human conclusion and understanding that the difference so many years ago really was less about what we believed but was more about the language that we had to express what we believe. And that's something that sort of haunts the Trinity. Our human language isn't enough to encapsulate what it means to say that God is in Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but yet is in unity. We continue the debate even within our own church today, right? So now the debate about the Trinity is that the language that we use to talk about God is too gendered one way, right? We talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about God using sort of feminine terms or terms that are more gendered neutral. And so there are some in the church that are saying, well, we should talk about the Trinity as the creator, the redeemer, and the sanctifier, right? These are all accurate descriptions of what God does. God the Father creates, Jesus the Son redeems, and the Holy Spirit sanctifies. But amongst theologians and church people, there's real concern that reducing the Holy Trinity down to job titles isn't big enough language to cover what we theologically understand the Trinity to be. So what do we do on this Sunday, this weird Sunday, when we're asked to celebrate a doctrine of the church that both unites us and divides us? I think that's where this reading from Proverbs surprisingly comes in handy. We don't often preach from Proverbs. We don't often read Proverbs in worship. But here it is, this reading from Proverbs on Trinity Sunday. And in this reading, we have wisdom personified. We have this image of wisdom and how wisdom moves in and throughout the world. Right? And in this image, wisdom is a woman. 
take that with what you might, gentlemen. But wisdom is a woman, right? And when we look at the reading from Proverbs, where do we see wisdom at work? Well, wisdom is certainly out in the world, calling to everybody, right? The reading from Proverbs begins with that. The wisdom is standing at the gates. The wisdom is in the places of power and prestige. She is in the ordinary places, school and work, right? She also is in the city streets, on the public square. Maybe occasionally in the 21st century, she might even be found hanging out on social media, though she might be hard to see there. And then Proverbs goes on to tell us that wisdom isn't just here in this present moment in the public places, in the ordinary places of our lives, but she was also there at the very creation of the world, sitting next to God the Creator as the world was brought into being. She was, in fact, there, taking joy and delight and rejoicing in the created world that God made. Now in this, I think what is most helpful about Proverbs is this notion that wisdom, this wisdom offered by God is one that brings rejoicing and delight, right? Wisdom is found in the joy and delight of creation and in the human race and in other people. And this may not be the best thing to say since we spend a lot of time wanting people to go to church. But what this does mean is that when people tell you that they experience God hiking in the woods or watching a sunset, they're telling you the truth. Because God is certainly there waiting to be revealed and understood and experienced in the joy and delight that we take in creation around us. Or when somebody tells you that they experience God when they're in a book group or in their community or with their neighbors, they are correct. They are experiencing God in those moments and the joy and delight that is found there. And I think that it is that joy that we see in Proverbs and this wisdom of God that's revealed through the created world and through each other that maybe helps us when we turn to the doctrine of the Trinity to talk about how God is specifically and especially revealed through the church and through the sacraments, right? Because that's what we're saying. We're saying that, yes, God is in the sunset. Yes, God is in each of us. But that God is in a very special way understood as the Trinity. And we use all sorts of language to try to capture this, right? Theologians have talked about um, that you can understand the Trinity as the three-leaf clover, right? With each part of the Trinity being one of the leaves of the clover, but it's all the same thing. You see, hear some people talk about that you can think of the Trinity as water, ice, and vapor. That gets you into a heresy pretty quickly, but we can sort of see how that might help us, right? Because water and ice and vapor are all the same thing. They're H2O, but they just look different. You hear the Trinity talked about as you can have a man who is a father and is also a farmer, right? So you're man, father, farmer. It's a little bit of that job title role that we talk about when we hear creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. In the Eastern Church, I love this, they talk about the Trinity is involved in a sacred dance. I don't know if we have any dancers amongst us, but when you dance with someone, right, we talk about maybe somebody is the lead and somebody is following, but that's not a power relationship, right? It's about how two people move together with the rhythm of the music that is part of the dance. 
And my favorite image of the Trinity is that of the lover, the beloved, and the love between them. And as much as any image of the Trinity may speak to us and we may find it meaningful, we have to know that the language that we use is not big enough to capture what it is to say that we believe in the triune God. And so Proverbs reminds us that the revelation of God always involves joy and delight. And so if we hold on to that and we turn our attention to the Trinity, not looking to be right and exact in how we talk about it, but taking joy and delight and standing in front of the mystery that it is to say that God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To stand in joy and delight of the fact that God loved us so much that God was willing to offer God's self in any way possible so that we could be in relationship. To me, on Trinity Sunday, when we celebrate this great doctrine of this church, this foundational understanding that we have of God, that we know that all of our language falls apart too quickly when we try to describe that maybe the best thing to do is to just stand in awe and joy and amazement at the mystery that is a God who by definition is relationship. And then to stop and think that if God in God's self is a relationship, what does that mean for us? How are we supposed to find joy in our relationship with ourselves, with each other, and with the God that created us? And I think it's an important reminder that we get that wisdom, she, out there in the world, is calling us to look for God in all sorts of places but most of all to stand there in joy and wonder of the mystery that is the Trinity. Amen.